It's good to see you all again tonight. God bless you. Thank you for being here. What a blessing it's been to be with you today. Good. We all set and ready? We good? Can you hear me? Good. Good. Wonderful. I'm glad you can hear me. Yes. Well, we had our great lunch, dinner, supper, whatever you want to call it. What do you call it in these parts? Lunch. We had lunch uh, today. We had a great time with the Davenports and the Cars. I appreciate their hospitality and kindness. And thank you, church, for uh, caring for us today. And what a beautiful room we had uh, last night. It was absolutely wonderful. I think we're going to have to start looking for these hotels that we stayed in uh, last night when our family goes away. I'm looking, looking forward to staying in a hotel like that again. It was such a blessing. But uh, do pray for us. We're headed home at the conclusion of the service. We're going to make our way back. It's about a four and a half hour journey. We're asking God to give us safety. And uh, certainly there's deer and all kinds of things on, on the roads. I hope no one intoxicated will be on the roads. And asking God to keep us safe and help us on our journey home. Pray for our church. Our church is uh, probably right in the thick of it right now. We start at 6 o'clock on Sunday nights. There are 19 young people that have been called to full-time Christian service in our church. And so I've turned the service over to them tonight. So there's three boys that are preaching. There's five girls that are giving testimony. Uh, Two or three of them have been called to uh, full-time mission work. One of them has been called to be a, a Christian school teacher. Another young lady is just speaking tonight. When I say speaking, she's giving a testimony how God has helped her and called her. She knows specifically that God's called her to be a witness in her public school. And so all these, there's a big choir, these 19, they're all singing and having a big time tonight. And uh, I pray that God will bless it in a great way. Our youth pastor is leading that service. And uh, I'm just trusting God to have His will and way in that service. Anytime someone has a call of God upon their life, they have to have an opportunity uh, to be able to do something with that call. And so tonight our young people that have been called are all working and laboring and striving, singing and praying and all the things that are necessary to make a church service go. So you pray for them that God will bless and pray for me that I'll be able to pastor those 19 young people and help guide them in spirit and in truth. We say at our church, at Northside Baptist Church, we want to speak the truth in love. Truth is a wonderful thing, but it has to be able to be received. It has to be said in such a way people can handle it. That's why the Lord says we ought to speak the truth in love. At our church, we try to sing Christ-honoring music. This is music that doesn't honor us. It honors Christ. It's about the Lord. Uh, We don't sing things that could be taken and sung to a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know. Uh, You are the wind beneath my wings, you know. Something of that nature, there's no mention of God or Christ in it. And so we sing Christ-honoring music. And then we like to worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, this is how the Lord says you must worship. He says, if you're going to worship me, you must worship me in spirit and in truth. And so we want to worship the Lord not sensually. We want to worship the Lord spiritually and If we're going to worship God, we must say the true things about Him. So it's our responsibility to declare the truth of God, who He is, and that He has a Son named Jesus who died to save us from our sins. This is the message. This book, this Bible, this Word of God that you hold in your hand is God's unfolding drama of redemption. We begin at the first page and we discover that there's a God who made all things. We discover He's a God of order. He didn't put man on water, but He called up the dry ground. He didn't make man before there was oxygen, the trees, and the plant life. He didn't make man before there was animals. He did it all in order. We have a God of order. And then we realize that there is man, and that's who we are. We are a three-part being made in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image. He was speaking of Himself. And he was speaking to himself. Let us. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
We believe in a triune God. We learn about God and who He is. Adam and Eve sinned. They had one law and they broke it. One rule and they broke it. And God had to kill an animal and make coats of skins. And that was a picture that someday the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, would bleed and die for the sins of mankind. Not as a covering, but as a cleansing. He would take away the sin of the world. That's better than the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews says. Because the blood of bulls and goats only suppressed. It was only a covering for the sin. That's why they had to come back year after year after year. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. My heart was black with sin. Black until Jesus came in. His precious blood I know has washed it white as snow. Gone, gone, gone. My sins are gone. Buried in the depths of the deepest sea. Cast as far as the east is from the west. Take off in either direction. You'll never find. You take off west, you'll never find west. You'll never find east. You take off east, you'll never find west. You can wrap the world around. You can't find my sin any longer. Can't be done. And I'm thankful for that. We're trying to preach the Word of God. Would you pray for Northside Baptist Church that God would use us? I'm praying that God will raise us up to be a lighthouse, not only in our community, but around the world. I'm praying that God will do it. He'll allow us to touch churches in Texas, to touch churches in the Southwest region, and encourage churches all over America, and then to encourage churches and missionaries and church planters around the world. I believe that God can do it, and I believe God wants to do it. And I'm asking God to help us. When I say those things, I'm myself taken back by the very thought of all that. But I believe God can do it if He wills it. If God will enable us, I think He could do it. I want you to pray for us that God would enable us to do His will. I talked to you this morning about, in the Sunday school hour, about the fire of the local church. Where does the fire of the local church come from? It comes from preaching, preaching Jesus Christ. It comes from praying, praying, seeking God, seeking His face, praying fervently. It comes from not only preaching and not only praying, but it comes from preparing our hearts and giving them to Christ, getting deeper in the love of Christ. This is where the fire of the local New Testament church comes. You want to start a fire? You want a fire lit in this church? Do you want to be part of that revival sweeping in Midland? Do you want God to use you? He can and He will. Oftentimes people are looking for a preacher to come and for a preacher to be uh, filled with the Spirit of God and for revival to break out using the preacher, but you know most oftentimes it's not the preacher. It's a young boy in the teen department who determines he's going to pray for his friends and labor to share the gospel. Sometimes it's a little old lady preach, uh, or praying and seeking God and doing God's will and being a witness. Sometimes it is a preacher and sometimes it is a, a man. But don't you want God to use you to see Midland, one for the Lord Jesus Christ. Revival can come, but it has to begin in you. Where's the fire of the local church? God desires for, for it to be in you. It's going to come as you preach the gospel, as you prepare your heart for the Lord to give it to God, and as you pray and seek His face. Then in the second hour, I spoke to you about the, the, what to expect from your local church. And you ought to expect that every time you come, that there ought to be Bible preaching. Bible preaching. The Bible is our sole authority. It's what we have. It stands alone as the Word of God. We ought to, we ought to expect to seek God in prayer 
Prayer determines the will of God. We ought to have ourselves prepared. What to expect from your local church. I pray that God will help us. I'd like to speak to you tonight about another subject on the local church. I want to be a help. I'm asking God to make me a help. Would you take your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter 1? Acts chapter 1. We're all familiar with this portion of Scripture, if we're familiar at all with the matter of missions. The matter of missions. I want to ask you if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God. This matter of missions. The disciples are interested and they're wondering when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign and sit on the throne and wondering when he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. And these Jews are looking for him to take over, right? Because they are under, they're under Roman rule. They're not free people. Oh, they're free because they've realized that Jews are very crafty people. They're very capable people. They're free. Any king wants people uh, to add to the kingdom. So they have liberty to work and pay taxes. They have liberty to have a home and to develop. Any king would want that for their kingdom. They want all hands on deck. But they're not free. They're not free to do as they please. Rome pays very close attention to what they do. They tax them hard. And they're waiting for Jesus Christ to come and for the Jews to have their own land and their own nation again. When, Lord, are you going to come and establish thy kingdom, they say. And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But he says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. This is locally and globally. Both locally and globally you ought to be preaching. When he had spoken these things, verse 9, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud, received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up? Into heaven. This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Lord, we ask thy blessing upon your word. Help me tonight as I try to look to be a blessing to this church family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I would like to speak to you tonight on a word that we find in verse number 11. Where he says, why stand ye gazing? I would like to talk to you about the gaze of a local church. G-A-Z-E, the gaze of a local church. The word gaze means to stare, to look upon, to investigate. It means very simply that we're putting our eyes upon, we're fixing them upon them. My daughter said last week in her Sunday school class, was a young man that was visiting. And this young man kept looking at her. This boy about her age kept looking at her. And she said he sat there the entire time in Sunday school lesson looking at me. And he just watched me. And you know what he was doing? He was gazing. <laughs> he was looking at her. He had his eyes fixed. It's embarrassing, isn't it, Esther? Oh my, it's so embarrassing. He's looking at her. But he was interested here are the disciples, we see them gazing up into heaven. They're interested. They're trying to figure out what's going on. They're trying to figure out, he left, is he coming back? They want to see everything that's going on with Christ as he ascends to the Father. They're gazing. The, the amount of time that they stood there gazing was very short, when you think about it. It was very short. But yet, in the middle of their gazing, God sent an angel and told them to get after it. Christ had just given him a command. He'd given him a work to do. He said, Ye shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. He gave them a task. And they're wasting time, gazing, looking, staring up into heaven, waiting. 
twiddling their thumbs. Somebody asked my grandfather, he was sitting there twiddling his thumbs, and they said, is that all you can do? He goes, no, I can do this too. <laughs> Man of many talents. He's standing there, they're standing there wasting time, and this angel comes from heaven and says, hey, go do what he's told you to do. This same Jesus is coming again. Get after it. I want to talk to you about the gaze of the local church. We would talk about this local church. Maybe we should define what a local church is. We would say that a local church is a group of saved, baptized believers who have voluntarily joined themselves together to carry out the Great Commission. It's what you've done. You've identified yourself, the body of doctrine, not only the doctrine, but also the practice. And you've said, we can unite together because we have one mind, we have one accord, and so we can come together and we can establish a church and be a part of a church because we're saved, we're baptized, and we want to do the work of Christ in this town. And you join yourself together. You said, I believe God wants me to be a member of this church, to put my life and influence in this. It's not a vote. It's a work that you're giving yourself to. It's to go into all the world and preach the gospel, beginning at Jerusalem, both locally and globally. I particularly am a Baptist, and I think you are too, or you wouldn't be part of this church. Well, what is a Baptist? A Baptist, we believe that the Bible is a sole authority. We believe in the autonomy, A, the autonomy of the local church. P, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. I don't need some priest to go to God for me. I can go to God myself. The autonomy of the local church, well, by that we mean we're self-governing. We don't need some board over top of us. We don't need some convention telling us what we should or should not do. As a church, we're led by the pastor who is in tune with God and our headquarters are in heaven. We don't need some convention. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe in the T, the T, B-A-P-T, two church offices. That's pastor and the deacons. That's what the Bible teaches. We believe in individual soul liberty. That means I can worship God as I please, and guess what? So can you. And guess what? We passed a Muslim musk on the way here. So can they. And we've seen Mormon churches. And guess what? So can they worship as they please. What this means is we, as Baptists, will never persecute someone for their faith. We believe in individual soul liberty. It's God's gift to us. By the way, America is founded on that. We believe in the saved church membership. We're talking about B-A-P-T-I-S, a saved church membership. You can't be a member of the church without being saved. And we believe in two ordinances. Those ordinances are simple. They're baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are things that God has ordered the church to do. And then we believe in the separation of the church and state. This does not mean that Christians should not vote. And it does not mean that pastors should not preach on politics. Because they should. They should. They have a voice. They need to use it for God. Don't, don't, don't cower down when a preacher preaches on what you may call politics. What he's preaching on is biblical Christianity. Standing for truth and right. The entire organization of our government was built around church order. They went to the New Testament and found, found it. And they, our founding fathers established America on the Bible. They said, why don't we build a nation that's free and founded upon the principles of God's Word and let's try this experiment. America was an experiment. And they found it to be good. And we have found it to be good. And so we believe in the separation of church and state. What does that mean? It does not mean that the pastor should not preach biblical truths. It means that the church should not dictate, or excuse me, the state should not dictate to the church what it must do. It cannot, it should not. This is what our founding fathers left. They left the Church of England. They came to America for freedom. Separation of church and state. It's a matter of the local church. What matter of the local church? I believe that every church ought to be a local, independent, Baptist church. I believe it's biblical. What about this matter of our attention? Where are we gazing? Where are you gazing? 
Where are you gazing? What are your eyes fixed upon? What are you investigating right now? What is big in your life? What's big in your life? What are you looking on? Well, where should the local church look? Number one, look on the fields. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. We find that we should look locally and globally. He says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. You remember when the Lord was talking? He was walking with His disciples. And He was walking in the valley of Kidron. And as He's walking there, that valley is filled with vineyards, grapes everywhere. And as the Lord is walking, I can just see Him plucking off a little branch. Maybe plucking a piece of fruit. And telling his disciples, look on the fields. They're white, all ready to harvest. He was walking and he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He showed them how they could be filled with the Spirit of God. How they could have the power of God on their lives to reach others. He said you could have fruit, more fruit. Much fruit. He said, You can have it. You can have it. But we have to look on the fields. We have to look on the fields. We have to tend to them. We have to care about them. We have to water. We have to plant. We have to we have to prune. We have to work and labor in the fields. We must look on the fields. Do you remember in the New Testament the parables of the kingdom? There's three parables of the kingdom that God gives us right, uh, right away. He says in Luke 19, verse 11, He spake these parables as He was nigh Jerusalem. They thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. You remember how that turned out. One of them took it and hid it in a napkin. One of them took it Invested made a little. One of them took it and invested made a lot. We go on and we find another story. We find the story, the parable of the virgins who have their oil in their lamps and their wicks and their wicks trimmed. But here comes Jesus. The bridegroom comes and those virgins weren't ready. The Lord's saying to us, Why stand ye gazing? When you ought to be working, making sure that your lamps are ready, making sure that the oil is prepared, that oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit of God, those lamps, the fire is flaming, life is happening, we're doing the work that God gave us to do, there's a fire burning within. He tells us also, he gives the parables of the lost things. The lost things. Do you remember? The one lost sheep. One out of a hundred. Ninety and nine are found. But there's one lost sheep. What did the shepherd do? He went after him, didn't he? And he found him and brought him safe into the fold. Then we find one out of ten. There's a parable of ten coins. The woman has lost her coins. She's lost one of them. Her coin is gone, one out of ten. That coin has no ability to get up and walk about on its own. That coin was misplaced accidentally. It was dropped. It was accidentally kicked under the couch. It was lost somehow. It had no ability to be lost on its own. Somebody had to lose it. The Lord says, look, I care about one out of ten. I care about one out of ten. You know, there's some people walking around this earth who have been misplaced. They've been displaced. They've been kicked to the side. They've been put out. No one thought anything would ever come of them. They tucked them under. It's no fault of their own that they don't know Christ. It's no fault of their own that they're living a sinful life. It's, they're just doing what they know to do. What happened to the lady that lost her coin? She looked and she looked 
and she looked until she what? Till she found it. Oh, I'm rejoicing. I found my one lost coin. And she calls the neighbors over and rejoices, and they rejoice with her. Then he tells us about the parable of the prodigal son. We had one out of a hundred, one out of ten, and now one out of two. This son did have something to do with his going astray. He has an option. He has a will. He left the father. But where do we find the father? Where do we find him? Sitting on the couch, not caring? Where do we find the father? When the son came home, the father was out. And the father ran to him. They put a coat on him to cover up all that stench. Can I ask you, what's a Jewish boy doing feeding hogs? It's the dirtiest picture of a Jew, that a Jewish boy could have. That means he left everything. Everything. He threw all convictions and all standards out the door. He left it all. What's a Jewish boy doing living with pigs and here he comes home and his daddy puts the family ring back on his finger one out of two one out of two you know what we ought to be doing we ought to be looking on the fields and seeing how God can use us we ought to be looking on the fields and seeing if we're ready and prepared for the Lord to use us if our wicks are trimmed and the the oil of the Holy Spirit is within and, and it, our flame is burning. We ought to not stop until we found every lost, every lost boy and girl in our community. You found every lost boy and girl on your street. If you've knocked on every door in your community, you ought to be looking. It matters not the size of your town. It matters not the size of your church. The, the idea is that everyone is looking on the fields looking on the fields where else should we be gazing where should we be gazing we should be looking for God to fulfill his word looking for God to fulfill his word we're looking on the fields the white already to harvest Christ draws our attention there we ought to be looking for God to fulfill his word look with me if you would in Acts chapter 1 Verse number 11, the Bible says, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Do you know that Jesus is coming again? He's coming again. I'm looking forward to that. Are you looking for God to fulfill his word? He's coming again. He's coming again. Time is ticking. 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 What does that mean for you? Does that create any urgency in you? What about America? What about your neighbor? What about that man or woman across the cash register and the counter? What about them? We ought to believe that God's going to fulfill His Word. And someday, those people that you're looking at, if they do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, Revelation tells us that they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. You know what that means? In my mind's eye, when I thought of, when I picture that, I used to think, you know, people just walking and stepping over the edge, walking and stepping. No, no, no. They're going kicking and screaming. They will be cast into the lake of fire. Jesus is coming again. Those who've heard will never have an opportunity to trust Christ again. Time will be over. They'll believe the lie, the scales. God will blind them. They'll believe the devil's lie. We ought to believe that God will fulfill His Word. Jesus is coming again. I want you to look at verse number 15, if you would, with me. Not only will Jesus come again, but the Bible says that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120. 
Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. You remember they went in and they chose another apostle. I want to encourage you to believe, to look for God to fulfill His word, that the church will advance. The church will advance. The church will advance. Peter said, look, God told us He's going to use us in a mighty way and we're going to preach the gospel around the world. We've got to stock up on laborers. We've got to find the other apostle. We've got to determine who this is. The church is going to advance. God said we're going to reach the world. Let's get more disciples. They had 120. We need one more. You know what? We always need one more, don't we? Labors are few. God's calling you to His labor force. Will you serve? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just an old individual. I'm kind of worn out and tuckered out, and I don't know what else I have to give. Great. That is wonderful. You remember that story in the New Testament where the Lord's trying to teach His disciples something and there's some laborers that worked all day long? They got tired, didn't they? But then there were some that came in at the last hour and they reaped the benefits too, didn't they? They got the same pay. You say, I've wasted my life. Jump in in the last hour. You say, I'm old. Jump in in the last hour of your life. Give it to God and see what God will do with you. See how He'll reward you. Oh, what I can do for the Lord won't matter. A hill of beans in eternity. Oh, yeah. Think about that man that was preaching in the winter storm when Charles Spurgeon, the lost man, walked in, sat inside that church, and there was just a layman that stood up that day and taught the very best you know how. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, came to Jesus Christ. That snowy winter morning. And today we still read Charles Spurgeon and we still listen to Charles Spurgeon. He's called the Prince of Preachers. Do you know God raised Charles Spurgeon up in London the same time Charles Darwin was preaching and, and teaching the theory of evolution? God raised Charles Spurgeon up to combat the devil's lie. What can he do with you? Who's going to be saved because you're a witness? Because you take a little gospel tract with you everywhere you go. By the way, do you know who gives out gospel tracts? Do you know who does? Those that have them. Those that don't have them don't give them out. But if you'll keep them on you, you'll find the Holy Spirit of God will convict you and you'll have something to give. Keep them on you. Put them in your car. Put them in that little pocket of your car. That way when you get out of your car and you open, and, and you open up your door and your eyes pass right by that little pocket in your door and you see them there, the Holy Spirit of God can say, are you going to take me with you? Are you going to tell somebody about me? If my wife was with me and I was meeting some people and I didn't introduce her, wouldn't it be rude? I wouldn't be a gentleman, would I? Well, what about Jesus? He's with you all the time. He's right there with you. And you're not going to introduce Him to the people that you're talking to? We're looking on the fields. We're looking for God to fulfill His Word. He's coming again. The church will advance. Peter says, God says it's going to advance. We better be prepared. Let's just jump in. Let's get all the laborers we can. The church is advancing. And then look for God to fulfill His Word. Miraculous works will be performed. You remember in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 4, as they were assembled together praying, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You remember there were thousands of people that came to Jesus Christ and got saved because of that mighty work. Every man heard in their own tongue. It's a big deal. It's a big deal that the gospel went to the ends of the earth because these men were obedient to the Lord. And these women that were gathered there were obedient to the Lord. You say, God can't use me. Don't you want to see the miraculous works of the Lord? Do you believe in miracles? I do. 
I believe in miracles. I've seen God do some miracles. There's a man in your city that lay dead. They lay dead. They were unplugging him. And he woke up just a few hours before they unplugged him. And now he's a saved man. And he's bringing other people to Christ. And he's being a witness in your community. And God changed his life. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. That man got saved as a result of our church praying for him. He came to church to say thank you. He was a hard guy. He was a very hard guy. His brother was a Christian, a member of our church. He lives over here in Odessa. And he wouldn't get saved. And he wouldn't get saved. And he wouldn't get saved. And he came to visit his brother. And his brother said, aren't you going to come thank the church for praying for you when you were almost dead? And he came and Ricky and his whole family sat right here on the front row of the church that Sunday morning and I preached the gospel and gave it to him straight. I think I looked at someone and said, Pastor, I've never seen you preach so much to the left side of the auditorium ever is in that service. And every one of those, all five members of his family trusted Jesus Christ that morning. And now he's a trustee in his church over here in Odessa. And this morning he was teaching Sunday school class. I believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. Don't you want to see the miraculous works of God? Look on the fields. Look for God to fulfill His word. And then look unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. Where should we be gazing? Where should the church be looking? They should be looking unto Jesus. Look unto Jesus. How do we do this? We identify with the crucified Christ. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 22, if you would. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 22, He says, You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved, this is Peter preaching of God, among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Identify with the crucified Christ. Do you identify with the crucified Christ? How shall Christians identify with the crucified Christ? Take up your cross. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross. What is your cross? I don't know your cross. I don't know your cross. What brand of cross do you carry? I don't know your brand. You don't know my brand. My brother was preaching a meeting and I was sitting in the meeting listening to him preach about carrying your cross and as he's preaching I'm imagining a pile of crosses and all of them are branded a little bit different. There's a cross of suffering. There's a cross of financial burdens there's a cross of insecurity there's a cross of poverty a cross of surrender a cross of health the lack thereof a cross of abandonment a cross of separation or holiness there's crosses of suffering and as we were compelled to take up our cross I thought what kind of cross do I carry what kind of cross do you carry what brand what brand? Are you willing to bear that cross and still follow Jesus? Take up that cross and follow me. You will not experience anything that Jesus did not experience. He was bruised for our iniquities, he was mocked at, he was spit upon, he hung naked. He was abandoned. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was misunderstood. People gambled over his robe for earthly possessions. He was used. He was used. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are comest about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us 
run with patience the race that's set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye, being wearied and faint in your minds. Jesus suffered. Will you suffer? Ah, you know, I just... It's embarrassing to be a witness. What are they going to think about me? What did they think about Christ? Take up thy cross and follow me. Your cross. What are we looking unto Jesus? How do we look unto Jesus? We identify with the resurrected Christ. Acts 2 and verse number 24 says... Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. This is victory. We're more than overcomers. We have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus said it is finished, Satan is already defeated. What scheme? Jesus cried out from the cross, It is finished! Satan said, What? what what's finished? What, what? The plan of God, his suffering. It's payment for our sins. It's done. It's over. And victory awaits the believer. We're more than overcomers. We're on the victory side. On the victory side. Well, I am on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Out in sin. No longer I'll abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord. I'm on the winning side. Identify with Him as the resurrected Christ, not as the dead Savior. He's the resurrected Christ. He's the resurrected Christ. And identify with the church of Christ. Identify with the church of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, we're talking about looking unto Jesus. We're talking about identifying with Christ, the crucified Christ, the risen Christ. But then identify with the continuing work of Christ. What is that? It's the local New Testament church. Identify with it. Be a member of it. Determine that you're going to follow Jesus in baptism. Learn His Word. And then decide to join the church. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They continued steadfastly. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and fellowship and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Look at verse 47. Or 46. And they continued stead, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Identify with a local church. A local church. If you're not a member of this church, why not? Join up. Put your life and influence in. If you've never been baptized, why not? Are you ashamed of Christ? Think of what He bore for you. Can't you bear some embarrassment for Him? Oh, I'm afraid of getting up in front of people. Would you rather be suspended from a cross? He freely gave Himself so that we could identify with Him and be baptized. Get baptized. And let me ask you, are you part of a Sunday school, a Bible teaching Sunday school? If not, you need to get in one. Learn the apostles' doctrine. Break some bread and fellowship with some people. Get in some personal discipleship. If you need it, talk to your pastor. He'll help you get in discipleship. He'll take you and he'll teach you the Bible. Oh, we just had uh, 16 people, I think it was, graduate from our discipleship program. We've got another 10 or 12 that will be graduating next month. Get in discipleship. Learn the Word of God. Continue. The Lord says you ought to be a student 
You have to be a student of the Word of God. You have to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Not, well, I think. It doesn't matter what you think. It matters what God says. America's built on, well, I think, everybody's opinions. Somebody said, you know, opinions are like armpits. Everybody, got, everybody has two of them and they both stink, you know. That might be a little crude, but it's, oftentimes that's the case when it comes to God. I grew up in West Virginia, and there's, not, there's some preachers there, and, but sometimes you'll find churches where, you know, the most capable person is Uncle Bert, you know. He has no Bible training, and he's not a student of the Bible. And so you find all kinds of doctrine, all kinds of teachings in these churches that doesn't line up with the Word of God. It's not about what we think, it's about what God says. We have the responsibility to study the Word of God. So, here's Jesus, He's ascended, we're the local church. Where are we looking? Where are we spending our time? What are we feasting upon? We ought to be looking in the fields. Christ is interested in that. We ought to be looking to see God's word fulfilled. The church is advancing. Let's believe that the power is still in the gospel. Let's give it. Let's see God do a work amongst this local body of believers. And then let's look unto Jesus. Let's look unto Jesus. If your eyes are fixed upon the Lord, if your eyes are fixed upon the Lord, you identify with Him in His crucifixion. You identify with Him in His resurrection. And you identify with Him in the local church, the continuing work of Christ. So look. Look unto Jesus. Look unto Him. What is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, Hebrews says. It's the evidence of things not seen. Well, how do we live that out? What does that do for us? Well, faith, the way we live it out, is looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. I'm excited about what God has for you as a church. I told my wife when we pulled in here, I said, it's amazing. It's amazing what God has here. It's absolutely amazing. You have a beautiful location, prime location, centered between Midland and Odessa. Two cities filled with people. Am I correct in that? Yeah, you're kind of right in the middle, right? Yeah, right in the middle of the two. And your facilities are outstanding. Unbelievable. Everyone coming here will talk about the beauty of this place. And you have people. You have people, Christian people that love the Lord. God is looking to do something. And He wants to do something. He can do something. And He will do something. If you'll give yourself wholly over to Him. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Let's look to the Lord. Let's stand to our feet together. May we heads bowed and eyes closed. A time of invitation. Oh... God wants to do something with you. He's given you a task. He's given me a task. He's given this local body of believers a task. Why stand ye here gazing? Don't just look in the sky. Look on the fields. Look unto Jesus. Look for God to fulfill His word. If you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, we invite you to come and trust Him today. If you've never followed Christ in baptism, come. Let us know of your desire to do so. And we'll baptize you when time permits. If you believe this is the place the Lord would have you tonight, come. Let us know of your desire to do it. I'll call your pastor and I'll tell him that you wanted to join the church and he'll talk with you and help you to begin that process of joining the church. I don't know what all is required but He'll help you to know. Make a commitment to Christ. And then, dear Christian, are you willing to identify with the Lord in His suffering? Take up thy cross. 
and follow me. We're going to sing. I want to encourage you to respond to the Lord. The invitation is open as we sing. Almost persuaded. Yes. One potter. We're not it. I am the clay. We're not it. Mold me and make me after thy God help us. It's the final verse of invitation. If you don't know Christ, we invite you to come. Don't let this moment pass. Don't let this moment pass. pray with you. Lord, I pray for these that have come tonight. God, we pray that you'd help them. Oh, I know not what they're surrendering to, what they're giving to you, or where they're looking, but God, I pray that tonight you've done something in their heart. I pray that you've lit something within them, a desire to be prepared and to see you work. God, help us. Thank you for this time together we've had in your house today. We pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Prepare this church. Prepare the pastor that's coming. Use him in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you. It's been a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, we're excited to come back and uh, see all that God is doing with you and through you and for you. And uh, we just couldn't be more excited for you and couldn't be more excited for the Hines, uh, Buddy and Howie and their children, and what God's going to do in this place. Well, God bless you. Brother Clark. Are we dismissed? All right. Very good. Thank you. Appreciate everything. We're going to get that.